when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. Sari Delamont here with you today. And uh, before we get started, a reminder, please review the book at trialguides.com if you've not already reviewed it. If you haven't even read it, go ahead to trialguides.com to order it. I have a goal and I want to see it accomplished. I want to have the most reviews at Trial Guides because I'm vain like that. And uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, please give us a review. Please, even if you don't want to type anything out, just give us the star review. We're all five stars right now. And um, also important to me. So (laughs) if you would please do that, I would really, really appreciate it. And thanks so much. Uh, Today we are talking about the one communication rule that blows all other communication rules out of the water. I'm telling you, if you get this one thing, you know I say that a lot, but this is really true. If you get this one communication rule down, you're you're just going to like love it, okay? This is my favorite thing to talk about. I have talked about it in previous podcasts, but I don't know I don't know that I've actually totally dedicated an ep- episode to it. So Here it is. Here's the one communication rule. So let's talk about the communication rule that we tend to operate from. And this is kind of a um, a, a rule across the board. And it is the golden rule, right? Don't, don't we all, when we all learn the golden rule, which is treat other people the way that you would like to be treated. You know, it's a great rule in general, right? It means don't treat people if the way that you wouldn't want to be treated, right? So it works in, in terms of the negative. Like if you wouldn't want to be yelled at, then don't yell at other people. And if you wouldn't want to be criticized, then don't criticize other people. But I, where I think the rule breaks down is when it's in the reverse, like how they want to be treated. Because here's the thing. Not everybody wants to be treated the way you want to be treated. And that's what today's podcast is all about. Because... We need a different rule. The rule is treat people how they want to be treated. And the, the issue that comes up, of course, when you hear that, it was, well, how the hell do I know how people want to be treated? It's all nonverbals, baby. That's the point. That's why I do this work. We don't read other people in terms of body language, to try to figure out their secret thoughts and feelings, we read them, in my mind, for two reasons, is that we read them to see if what we're doing is working. But the, the real primary, 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 <laughs> primary reason is that we read them to see how they want to be treated. And that is much easier than you may think. And we're going to talk about how to do that in today's episode. Buckle up, people. This is a good one. All right, so here's the the deal. When we are using the communication rule, treat people how they want to be treated, and we're trying to figure out how they want to be treated, I want you to carry this in your back pocket because this is everything. Once I learned this, everything changed for me. And here it is. Every single communication situation can fall into one of two buckets and only one of two buckets. And I mean 
every communication situation. We are either tending to the relationship or dealing with an issue. So I want you to imagine two buckets. One is a relationship bucket and one is an issue bucket. So we're talking about conversations with spouses, children, ordering coffee, court, colleagues, CLEs, all of it. And here's how you use this. If you know what bucket people are in, issue or relationship, and you meet them there, instead of trying to pull them into the bucket you think they want to be in or you want them to be in, that's when you get permission. Now, you can go back and listen to the podcast episode on permission. I think it's called permission something. (laughs) And I talk about this in there. But again, that was more about permission. This is more about the whole uh, relationship versus issue. Permission is how receptive someone is to us or our message. So we're not talking about verbal permission. You know, do I have your permission? Yes, no. We're talking about how receptive they are. You can think about permission like a thermometer, okay? So when we have little to zero permission, The communication feels cold and stunted and hard to get going. But when we start to increase permission, which is what the From a Hostage to Hero Method is all about, how do you increase permission with jurors? The the communication starts to get warmer and warmer and warmer. Now, we tend to think as humans, and especially trial attorneys, because you've been trained in this, that relationship is what gets permission. No, it does not. And this is what causes you to do all the crazy shit that you're doing, like asking about hobbies and passions and all that stuff at the very beginning. Again, there's nothing wrong with those questions at the right time. But we think our main goal is to create a relationship with jurors, and that is not our goal. Our goal is to increase permission with jurors. Let me say that one more time, because this is so important that you get this. We think our goal is to create a relationship with jurors, but it is not. Our goal is to increase permission with jurors so that we can ask them for more and more things. At first, we want to ask them to remain present (laughs) and not try to get out of it. And then we ask them to engage. And then we ask them to commit. And then finally, at the end of trial, we ask them to take action. All of those things take an increasing amount of permission. Now, the number one way to get permission is to meet people where they are, to get into the right bucket, so to speak. So what bucket are jurors in when we first meet them at trial? Are they in the issue bucket or the relationship bucket? Yeah, they're in the issue bucket. They want to know, why am I here and what do I have to do? But most of you try to pull them into the relationship bucket because you think that's where the magic is. It's not. Get rid of your idea of how you think this works because this is not how communication works. For example, take salespeople. I remember um, salespeople are waiters. Uh, Rick Freeman once asked me after hearing, you know, and working with me for a while and knowing this concept of, of issue versus relationship. He's like, could you please go and work with waiters? <laughs> because we know that waiters 
uh, try to be extra friendly. And if you've ever been in that situation where you're just there to like eat and maybe write a brief or do some work and get back to trial or get back to your office and you've got this extremely chatty relationship-oriented waiter that you want to scratch your face off. Come on, you know you're out there. Some people totally enjoy. That's their break. So they're there for relationship. They're not there to work. They love chatting with the waiter. I mean, my dad, for example, has never met a stranger. I mean, ever. He tries to talk to anyone waiting in line at the bank or going to a restaurant or even just this last week we at our beach house. And we don't know our neighbors yet because we just bought the beach house. And he's standing on the balcony and there, our neighbor comes out. I mean, I swear to God, if they were just a little bit closer, he would have called over to the balcony and introduced himself. He's just a relationship-oriented person. And as you're listening to this, you can think about your own self. Are you more, in general, relationship-oriented or issue-oriented? People tend to have a resting spot. But I want to release you from this notion that your job is to create a relationship with jurors. It's not. Your job is to get in their bucket. Okay? Now, all jurors... Start in the issue bucket. Nobody wakes up, as you heard me say, the morning of trial, jury selection, and thinks, I can't wait to get to the courthouse to have a relationship with Mr. or Mrs. Attorney. The question then becomes, do we just treat them as issue-oriented jurors for the rest of the time? No. This is why forming the group is so important. Because when you form the group, that's when the true culture of the group arises. So for example, sometimes in our mock juries, after the group is formed, we have an issue-oriented jury. They've remained in issue, okay? So this is a jury that's not real, cordial, laughing, um, lots of eye contact or otherwise, rolling voices. They tend to be more issue-oriented even after they're formed. They just stay in the issue bucket. That's fine. Think about groups that you belong to. There are some groups, the culture is high issue. When you guys get together, let's say it's a board, you are all about, let's. what are we here to talk about? Let's get it done. Great, it's done. See you later. Bye. Right? Takes maybe an hour. Some groups, though, once they're formed, they show up in a relationship culture. So we have more rolly voices, we have more eye contact, we have more laughing. And in that case, you can think of things in your life where it's much more relationship oriented. It takes about 20, 30 minutes for the meeting to even get started because everyone's getting to know each other, getting coffee, getting donuts. The meeting may take two or three hours because a lot of relationship building is happening. Listen, what I want you to understand is neither one of these are right or wrong. It just is what it is. And this is why we push so hard for you to form the group because then you can find out what culture lives there. So how do you identify either a relationship or issue-oriented juror or culture? So the thing is, it comes back to our authoritative and approachable. If you go back and listen to some of the body language podcast episodes, we'll talk about what the differences are, but here's a real recap. So your issue-oriented juror is going to have a straight head, hold their bodies more rigidly, have a voice pattern that sounds a little bit more flat like I sound now and curls down. They may cross their arms. They may have a grimace on their face. Don't make up stories about what you think this means. That's where we, we go awry with reading body language. Here, all you need to know and recognize is that they're just issue oriented. They don't need to like you. They need to respect you. 
So just drop your stories about what this juror is and who they are. And just when you see this, just think issue. This is an issue-oriented juror. They want facts, figures, evidence. That's what they want. Your relationship-oriented juror is the juror that is maybe leaning forward, has the ted- head tilted. Their voice is a little bit more rhythmic, like mine sounds right now, and tends to curl up at the ends of statements. They may do a lot more nodding. They make, may make noises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they want more things like stories, emotional connection. They do need to like you versus your issue-oriented jurors. And this is where attorneys get scared. They're like, well, how do I appeal to both groups? You form the group. This is why I keep nailing that jury selection and jury work is a group activity. And you have to treat it as such. Otherwise, your job becomes too big to manage. When you're trying to appeal to individual jurors of individual types, that's when you have a problem. But when you form the group, a culture emerges. Even if there's relationship-oriented people, if the group tends more toward issue, they will get in line. Why? Because of our need for belonging. Okay? So this is what we're looking for. And again, don't make up stories about the relationship-oriented juror either. They don't necessarily agree with everything you say because they're nodding their head. They're just polite. So when we're talking about issue versus relationship, the way to really work this to your advantage is wherever you notice people are, go there. If you walk in and a client comes in, for example, and, and people ask me all the time, should I, should I start with small talk? What should I do? I said, read the person. Again, not blinking eyes and scratching nose. Read authoritative or approachable. So if somebody comes in to your office and they're not making a lot of eye contact, their voice is flat and curls down at the end, right? Not a lot of warmth. They're issue-oriented. So get to the point. Thank you for coming. Let's talk about your case. Boom. Permission starts to go up. If, however, someone comes into your office and they give you lots of eye contact, lots of nodding, oh my gosh, your office is so nice, their voice is curling up, that's a relationship-oriented person. So tend to the relationship. So how are you doing since all of this happened? Are you okay? Notice how if you reverse that with either person, permission goes down. So you have your issue-oriented person coming in and you're like, hey, how are you? Are you okay? And they're like, oh my God, I'm fine. Let's get to it right? You've lost permission. But the reverse is also true. If a relationship-oriented person comes in and you're like, all right, let's get to it. They're like, what's his problem? Her problem. She's not very nice. Now, you might be thinking, well, why do I have to be the one that's adapting? Because you're the only one we can control here. Do you want good communication? Do you want permission? Then adapt. This doesn't make you inauthentic. This makes you smart. It makes you savvy that you start to notice what people need and you give it to them. You become a communication rock star, my friend. When you can really adapt and just start noticing this in your life. When you go and you start to shop for something and you have the extremely friendly salesperson who wants to chat you up about it, that's probably fine. But if you've already decided on what you want and you go to the store, and you're just there to buy it, and they're extremely chatty, now you're annoyed. It all comes down to timing. That's what communication is all about, is about timing. So notice, and don't get this mixed up, we tend to think that connection only happens in the relationship bucket. No, you can connect in the issue bucket. You're just connecting over something different. 
It's just the topic. It's just the, the context. In relationship, you're bonding over your shared connection. In issue, you're bonding over the actual issue. So, so hear me. Your job, because I had an attorney ask this, well, how do I, when do I eventually get them in a relationship bucket? I said, you don't necessarily. If, if you form the group and they become relationship-oriented, then great. They've gone there themselves and you adapt to that and you, and you, you serve them in that way. But they may never go there. They may stay an issue. Look, we win verdicts with both issue-oriented ver- uh, jurors and with relationship-oriented jurors. It's just how much permission do you have? And when you start to notice this, and in our studios here in Portland, it's amazing how quickly our, our attorneys can see this now, where they never saw it before. They're like, whoa, that was a very issue-oriented jury this morning. Or whoa, that was so relationship this afternoon. It's just night and day. And they show up how they show up. And the different uh, organization of individuals will make up a different culture every single time. Now, people ask me, well, aren't most juries uh, issue-oriented? They are if there's not a strong push to form the group. Because court is a very issue-oriented place, is it not? So that system has a definite influence on the group and how they're showing up. But with a strong push for uh, formation, you can really start to get at how the group is going to show up. They're probably always going to show up a little bit more issue-oriented than relationship just again because of the nature of court. But the point I want you to get from today's podcast episode is that when you notice where an individual or a group is coming from, issue or relationship, and you go there too, you get permission. So when we know when we start that jurors are all in the issue box or bucket and we go to issue thank you for being here this case is about boom we know permission goes up but what do most of you do you go and you go into the whole relationship building and thank you for being here and you're so important you're mismatching it's incongruent with where the jurors are now you might think well do i need to form the group I mean, if they form and they just become issue, what's the difference? Why can't I just have a bunch of issue-oriented individuals versus issue-oriented group? Because it's much easier to get a verdict from a group than from 12 or 6 or 8 individuals. The issue-oriented group, again, don't start making up stories that they're not, they don't care about each other or whatnot. They do. They'll still operate as a group if you form them into one. They'll just have different uh, values that they honor. In general... Issue-oriented groups value productivity, facts, getting things done, not wasting time. In general, relationship-oriented groups value morale, relationship, emotional connections. We can win cases on either one. You know that. So here's what I want you to remember when it comes to the communication rule that blows all the other communication rules out of the water is that Every communication situation falls into one of two buckets, issue or relationship, and that your road into permission is to meet people where they are. If you see a highly issue-oriented individual or group, which means lots of authoritative communication, you get to the issue and you start using authoritative communication yourself. If you see a relationship-oriented person or group, you tend to the relationship and you use more approachable relationship or approachable nonverbals yourself, more tilting heads, more rolling voice pattern. This is what makes good communication happen. 
All right, go out there and play with that. Report back. Talk to you soon. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sorry Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sorry's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today. And until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself. 